Hi, everybody, and welcome to Martin Bandike Undercovers for November 2017, produced in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. David Bowie, A Life, is Dylan Jones's engrossing magisterial biography of Bowie. It's unlike any David Bowie story ever written, drawn from over 180 interviews with friends, rivals, lovers, and collaborators, some of whom have never spoken before about their relationship with Bowie. This oral history weaves a hypnotic spell as it unfolds the story of a remarkable rise to stardom and an unparalleled artistic path. Tracing Bowie's life from the English suburbs to London, to New York, to Los Angeles and Berlin and beyond, its collective voices describe a man profoundly shaped by his relationship with his schizophrenic half-brother Terry, an intuitive artist who could absorb influences through intense relationships and yet drop people cold when they were no longer of use and a social creature equally comfortable partying with John Lennon and dining with Frank Sinatra. David Bowie is an epic, unforgettable cocktail party conversation about a man whose enigmatic, shape-shifting, and irrepressible creativity produced one of the most sprawling, fascinating lives of our time. When I began my interview with Dylan Jones, I asked him, when did he first start working on this book, David Bowie, A Life? Someone asked me that, a friend of my wife asked me that the other day, and I said, 15 months and, and all my life. I mean, uh, I've been, a, I've been a, you know, a, a fan since I was an, an impressionable teenager. I interviewed him seven times over the years. I've interviewed lots of people around him, and um, uh, I, I mean, I had to spend a year interviewing 150 people, but I knew a lot of the stories, a lot of the backstories. I knew, I'd already done a lot of the research already. What are your impressions what, uh, of meeting David Bowie? Do you remember the very first time that you did an interview with him? You know, it, it, as, you, as you look back at this great man's career, what, what was he like? You, you interviewed him quite a few times, as you said. He was, he was someone who really wanted to engage. And there are many celebrities, uh, and I've interviewed quite a few of them, who basically, they, they, they understand that they have to go through this formality of plugging something. They don't like doing it. They're defensive. They're, they're, they're reclusive. They don't really want to engage. They're just doing it because they're contracted to. And even though, uh, with, with Bowie, it was different, because even though you somehow knew you were being conned because he was being overly charming. He really wanted to engage. He really wanted to talk. He was a very curious person, always interested in what people were up to, what movies they'd seen, what books they were reading, what restaurants they'd go to. Really, really curious person. So actually, every interview was always interesting because he really got involved. Mm. Okay, it's armchair psychologist time. Where, where, where did Bowie's incredible creative drive, this eclectic drive come from? I love the quote in your book from Paul Morley saying that Bowie was everyone from Elvis Presley to, to Judy Garland to Anthony Newley to Marcel Duchamp, all, all rolled into one person. Where, where did this drive come from? And, and someone who was just interested seemingly in everything. Well, he was, he was brought up 
um, in South London uh, in an area that was full of lots of people who worked in the entertainment industry. And his, his father was a PR man for the Dr. Bernardo's charity. So Bowie was, was, um, had access at a very young age to lots of people in the entertainment industry. So the idea of growing up to be an entertainer was as normal in his mind as growing up to be a journalist or a plumber or a doctor or a DJ or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So it was kind of, uh, it, it wasn't out of the ordinary. So his aspirations were from a young age to be an entertainer. And I had no idea about the fact that David Bowie had a very, very troubled um, half-brother by the name of Terry. This was truly a revelation to me. I've never really read all that much about David Bowie's family, his mom and dad, and his uh, half-brother, Terry. Yeah, his, he had a very, very troubled half-brother who had, um, uh, who had schizophrenia, and I think there was always a, a slight fear um, uh, on Bowie's behalf, that he, he that he maybe had had the same gene, that at some point he might develop these tendencies, and I think that um, he sort of accentuated that a little. I think um, for the press um, and uh, the the sort of elements of madness that that he liked to exploit. Um, but yeah, his his brother was seriously seriously troubled. Um, why did you make this an oral history, an oral biography? Certainly, with with your uh, all the books that you have done, Dylan, you were perf- you're perfectly capable of writing yourself and just using your own writing for this biography. But why include the voices of somewhat 182 other people? Why did you take that approach? Because I'd, I'd written a book five years ago about Bowie, and uh, it, it, it was my version of why I love David Bowie. Lots of people have written those books, and actually, I, I didn't want this to be a book about me. I didn't. I wanted this to be a book full of voices who, of people who really knew him, who actually knew him. So there's there's no subjectivity in this book. I mean, there's subject there's subjectivity in terms of what I've decided to use and how I've edited it, but it's a very objective book because it's just pure voices it's people's real genuine um recollections of of their time with david bowie and of all the people you talked to for the book was there one particular person that you were very very fortunate to get on record who perhaps had never spoken about david bowie before well, I figured there were there's there's 50 people that you need to speak to in order to be taken seriously as a Bowie biographer, the Nile Rogers of this world, the Tony Viscontis, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and then there are the other 50 people who probably had as much to do with him professionally, but who don't get asked, who don't get the airtime. And then there are the other 50 people where you're interviewing someone and they say, well, have you spoken to Kevin? And you go, well, who the hell's Kevin? And so you <laughs> endeavor to go and find and interview Kevin. So there were lots of people like that. It's, uh, of course, being from uh, Ann Arbor, doing an Ann Arbor radio program to hear the uh to hear Iggy Pop chime in uh, about his relationship with David Bowie. Um, He was, well, all of us were devastated by uh, David's passing and Iggy Pop, none more so than, than Iggy Pop. I mean, Iggy, his life was just literally saved by, by David Bowie, wasn't it? Yeah. I think that when, um, when Bowie produced raw power in uh, the early seventies, 
uh, and then he picked him up again during um, The Idiot and Lust for Life in the mid-70s, and then again in the 80s as well with Blah Blah Blah, and they, they, they were great companions. There was rivalry there, but um, uh, there was a certain amount of sort of genuine, sort of lovely codependency in a way, and lots of these stories come out uh, in the book and of, of um, them traveling together and, and helping each other, and I think that, I think that at, a, at a certain point, Iggy gave uh, gave Bowie credibility, and Bowie gave Iggy a career. Hmm. What was it about Iggy that that attracted him to David Bowie? I mean, Bowie, very, very worldly person, uh, and you know, Iggy himself says, "Gosh, I'm kind of a hick from the sticks." What? what why is David Bowie interested in, in what I do? They came from very different worlds, but what what clicked about the relationship, and what made David Bowie interested in Iggy Pop, who outside of Michigan wasn't super well known or didn't have a very good reputation no but he was um one one of one of bowie's great um assets one of his great gifts was being able to choose great collaborators whether he was working with nile rogers or whether he was working with icky pop or he was um he had great antennae and i think that lots of people look at bowie and think well he was a user he uh, he sucked he sucked the talent out of people and then moved on. But I like to think of him more as a sort of soccer manager or a football manager. He he just chose the right people for the right projects. And in Iggy's case, in Iggy Pop's case, he, I think he generally thought that you know this is the this is the most arranged man in rock and roll. He's really cool. He's edgy. He was the sort of, in Bowie's eyes, he was the new version of the Velvet Underground. And Bowie wanted some of that magic to rub off on him. My favorite, it's a toss-up for me. I flip a coin between Station to Station and Low is my favorite Bowie album. It kind of changes day-to-day between those two. How about you? What, what are your favorite album, album or albums of David Bowie's, Dylan? I think um, mine are sort of Young Americans and Station to Station. And when I was researching the book in L.A. last year, I I found it extraordinary to find out that um, whilst he was recording Station to Station, he used to go and have dinner most nights with Frank Sinatra, who was also recording in the the same studio, which is bizarre. When you think that at that time, Bowie was in his most sort of austere, drug-fueled state, and then he would go and have dinner with Jack Daniels sipping Frank Sinatra. I mean, the whole thing is bizarre. Dylan, did, were you aware that, that Bowie was ill in those last months of his life? Did you, was there any indication uh, to you that he was so ill? I knew he was ill, but I didn't know he was that ill. Uh, and um, there were a very, uh, very small number of people who knew he was ill. And actually, I, I speak to them all, and they're all, all in the book, but they, he really managed to keep it um, as very, very, very tight group of people. Even people at the record company didn't know that he was ill. They knew that he was making a record, but they didn't know that he had such advanced cancer. 
Brian Eno, of course, uh, collaborated on uh, Bowie on some of his greatest projects, and it's just so touching to read his thoughts about Bowie. And again, he's one of m- many people who wasn't aware that David Bowie was was ill, and but as he looks back, they communicated by via email for uh, quite a while, it seems. And you know, Pope a- after Bowie's passing, Brian Eno realized that David was uh, saying goodbye. Boy, those are some of the most poignant parts of the book when Brian Eno and other people re- reflect on uh, his passing. Why, why, why has Bowie's death had just such a profound effect on so many people? Dylan, I went on the air at 6 a.m. here in Ann Arbor, uh, just having gotten word of his passing, and I barely got the words out, and I just broke down in tears and did yeah. repeatedly talking, talking about his passing. Why has it affected us so much? Because I think, uh, I think for a previous generation, it was probably Bob Dylan. But I think for our generation, here was a man. We all thought, all of us, we all thought that we had the connection with David Bowie. I think that we all thought that David Bowie was talking to us individually, in particular. And you didn't get that with the Beatles. You don't get that with most groups. They're, they're great entertainers. You like their records. You go to their concerts. And that, that's kind of it. But with Bowie, it was very personal. And I think that... Because he had uh, this acute sensibility, because he really encouraged people to explore their own creativity, um, and also for some people to explore their own sexuality, that there was a real connection there. Uh, and I say in the book that or he never forget, he never forgot to connect, and I think that's the connection that, uh, that we found so painful when it was broken, when he died. Thanks for listening to Martin Van Dyke Undercovers for November 2017 and our interview with Dylan Jones about his new book, David Bowie, A Life. This has been a presentation of the Ann Arbor District Library.